Welcome to the Nach Daily, a Congregation Ahavas Torah initiative. Let me start with two pieces of important housekeeping. Firstly, out of deference to another podcast called Nach Daily, we are going to be rebranding as of today, and we're going to be called, drumroll please, Tanach Daily. It's the same Torah you love, now with a slightly different name. Kudos to the runner-up in the contest. Uh, I was thinking about Nach Nach Nachin on Heaven's Door. I'm going to pass on that. Tanakh daily. That is point number one. Point number two is that right now we find ourselves at Parak Tesvav, Tesayan, excuse me, Tesayan in Sefer Shmuel. And although we are halfway through the Sefer of Shmuel Aleph, um, it's, it's really a distinct chapter, a distinct unit that we are starting today. And so if there's anyone who has perhaps not gotten on the train thus far, might feel intimidated to start uh, following and listening and learning with our podcast, today's a great day to, to join up with us. So I would encourage anyone who, any of you listening who have enjoyed this podcast so far, please take this opportunity to share it with friends and family so we can continue to expand our community of learners. I thank you for that. Let's jump in. Parak Tazayan is a chapter 16, is a very important parak. It's kind of understated, but as usual, it is just filled with beauty and depth and lots of emotion. We initially find Shmuel, who is mourning, still mourning the loss of Shaul's kingship. He's mourning Shaul's failed kingship. And we might have thought that Shmuel in this moment would feel triumphant, that he would feel vindicated. A lesser person in his position would have bitterly watched the train wreck of Shaul and would have said to the people, I told you so. You wanted to replace me with the, with, with the king. I warned you and you didn't listen. You've made your bed. Now you sleep in it. That's what a lesser person would have said. Shmuel, of course, being an uh, almost unparalleled great person. So he obviously sincerely wanted this to work for Bnei Israel, wanted the kingship to have been successful, and he sincerely wanted Shaul to succeed as a person. Shmuel, what we see is just uh, time and again, he's just a sincere, uh, good individual, righteous individual, wants what's best, and it's so beautifully demonstrated by the fact that he is so broken up by Shaul's failure. So Hashem says to to Shmuel, okay, Shmuel, it's time to move on. We got to appoint we have to anoint a new king, go to Beis Lechem in Yehuda, to the house of Yishai. One of his sons is going to be a suitable heir uh, to the throne. There is, of course, one problem with Shmuel going and anointing one of Yishai's children as king. There really is, by almost all metrics, a king currently sitting on the throne, and that's Shaul. So Shmuel asks Hashem, if I go and I anoint David, Shaul is going to kill me. And Hashem says, this is what you should do. You should go to Beis Lechem under the uh, pretext that you are giving a carbon. We know that there is a bama in Beis Lechem, a personal altar, which was permitted at this time in Jewish history. So go there to give a sacrifice. And in that context, you'll meet Isha, you'll meet his children, which is what Shmuel goes and does. He f- initially meets a few of Isha's children, all of whom are uh, by, uh, by external metrics a good candidate for the kingship, but Hashem keeps telling Shmuel, not this one, not this one. Finally, he discovers that there's yet another son who is shepherding their flock in the field. They go and they fetch him. Shmuel is told, yes, bingo, this is the one, this, this is the, 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 the kid who is going to, the young man who is going to become king, who you should anoint as king. We find that this young man is striking in appearance, 
But other than that, we don't really know much about him, other than that he is young and he is a shepherd. In fact, we're not even told that his name is David until right a few psukim later when Shmuel anoints him as king in front of his family, in front of his nuclear family. So then in that context, we're told that the spirit of Hashem rested upon David. So it kind of builds up the suspense, especially for the reader who's, I think the assumed audience knows who David HaMelech is and was. And so by waiting, by withholding that piece of information, the Perek kind of builds it up. And then finally we learn it was David HaMelech. Okay, so David is anointed. The spirit of Hashem rests upon him. And so in some metaphysical sense, he is now king. But by all practical measures, uh, Shaul is still the king. And uh, only the nuclear family, only his nuclear family knows, only David's nuclear family knows that he was anointed by, um, by Shmuel. Shmuel then leaves, and the parak then takes an incredibly dramatic turn. Just as David receives this divine spirit, the spirit of Hashem rests upon him, Shaul loses it. And that's necessarily, because... This is an expression of, uh, of who is king in the, in the truest sense. And the moment David is consecrated, the moment the oil is poured upon David's head, Shaul loses the kingship. And in that void, in that loss that Shaul experiences, uh, th- there enters a, a kind of terror and fear, uh, a dread. Something rests upon Shaul immediately, uh, in the absence of that divine spirit that troubles him in a very deep way. And he's, and he's disturbed, and his, his advisors, those who are tending to him, recognize that he's disturbed, and they suggest, why don't you get someone to come and play the harp to soothe you, which Shaul agrees to. And so one of his advisors says, I know that one of, uh, one of Yishai's boys are, uh, are exceptional people, are, are not only musicians, but he says are also Gibor Chayil, Ve'ish Melchama, Unavon Davar, Ve'ish Tawar, In addition to being a musician, he's also a stalwart fellow, a warrior, sensible in speech, handsome in appearance, and the Lord is with him. So we now, for the first time as readers, in the same moment that Shaul is learning about David, we're also learning really about who David is and what makes him so exceptional. That's one of these brilliantly crafted moments in the Sefer. So Shaul agrees, okay, send for him, bring him here. And, uh, and, and someone comes and uh, arrives to tell David that he's being summoned to the king. Now, if we pause here, let's recognize how absolutely terrifying this must have been for David. He was just anointed by Shmuel to be the king. So in essence, he started a coup against Shaul. And he did this in the presence of his brothers, who may well, we don't, we don't know much about the brothers at this point, but they could have been jealous of David, and maybe one of them told Shaul. And so the last person that David wants to see now is Shaul, being randomly summoned to the king. It's just must have immediately sparked within David the suspicion that perhaps Shaul knows what happened, which would be very frightening. So it must have been very, very scary for David. He goes to the king, but he goes in a way that demonstrates his loyalty to Shaul. He comes bearing gifts. That was probably very wise and calculated, uh, perhaps specifically, uh, to try to offset the fear that Shaul is going to, uh, to kill him. Presumably, when he finds out that Shaul really just wants him to then, he wants him for his musical abilities, so he must have calmed down. In fact, David and Shaul hit it off, we're told. Shaul really admires, takes to David right away, 
And David helps calm, using his music, uh, helps calm Shaul's sense of terror and dread. Now, and, and thus ends the parak. Now, on an absolutely simple level, just on the, on the basic level, just understanding and appreciating this parak, this story is amazing. There are few places in Tanakh that are so rich in irony as this parak. This is like Megillas Esther level irony and, and tension as well. Here you have Shaul losing his divine spirit and experiencing terror. So he calls David, who is replacing him as king, who himself received the spirit that Shaul had lost. And it's he who now soothes Shaul of his resulting sense of terror and dread. It's amazing, the confluence of events. It's just, it's, it's so beautifully wrought and, and so, so, so breathtaking how it all unfolds. And this is uh, an amazing forerunner to countless great plays, books, movies, who uh, put the protagonist and the antagonist unknowingly in continued close proximity. Either they'll be neighbors, they'll be working together, they'll be whatever the inter, however they're entangled. Um, but this is like the first great moment where we have two characters with such profound asymmetry in their knowledge of, of what's going on and, and also a, an, an incredible sense of um, dramatic irony in that the audience knows and can appreciate much more deeply than any of the characters just how remarkable this turn of events truly is. It's worth marveling at. Let me add uh, to our appreciation of the literary beauty of what's taking place here by recalling that when Shmuel is ushering Shaul into the kingship, and he tells him that uh, after being anointed, what's going to happen? He's going to have three meetings with people on his way home. The first group of people will tell him about uh, his donkeys that he was looking for, that they had been found. Second group would provide him food and wine because they were going to base lechem uh, in order to give a uh, a carbon. And the third group he would encounter would be prophets prophesying, having this ecstatic experience, and they would have instruments in their hands, which include the harp. And now... As David is anointed king and Shaul's kingship is finally really done, we have all these elements once again. David is sent to Shaul from Beis Lechem with gifts, including a donkey, right? Shaul lost a donkey, a donkey. He's going with food, wine, and a carbon. So that's like the second group. So we have the first group with the donkey. We have the second group uh, with the food and the wine. And then finally, he comes... Uh, David comes, a, a person who himself had received the spirit of Hashem, right? Just like the third group in Shaul's time, and he comes to play the harp for Shaul. So we we see that uh, all of these literary elements are being brought back together. All of these different um, points are now being brought back into this story. It was initially introduced when Shaul was becoming the king right after he was anointed, and now they're being reintroduced as David is, was anointed, and Shaul's kingship is concurrently coming to an absolute finish. In short, Sefer Shmuel is so awesome, and it's worth pulling apart these beautiful pieces so we can appreciate the artistry in how beautifully crafted, how dramatic, how rich the tapestry is uh, that is presented to us uh, in this seafair. That's it for today. Chazak ve'ematz and happy learning.